should you decide to accept it. Welcome back. This week, Alonzo's Choice, Portishead's 94 album, Dummy. Um, season 3, 9? I don't know. Season 3, right? 9, Something yeah, like... I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Off we go. Yeah. So, I guess we could start with maybe my relationship to the record. It came out in 94. I didn't know anything about this band or anything about basically the Bristol scene or whatever, trip hop, whatever you wanted to call it, until I went to college. And this was like one of the first things that I heard in college where I was just like, wow, this is really fucking cool. And I've never heard it before, and it's awesome, and I just fell in love. Not just with Portishead, but with a bunch of stuff, including Tricky, including Massive Attack, and then a lot of the drum and bass stuff. And But at the end of the day, I think of all those bands, I always come back to Portishead probably the most. It's just this really cool amalgamation of sounds that I think were all interesting to me at the right time. And I can't tell you like how uncool like stuff like I don't know, whatever, Bond music or <laughs> I know there was a James Bond that came out in the 90s, but and you know, but like the kind of style and the music of that the sort of Connery era Bond I think was really unpopular and then so then you bring that uh, some of those sounds together with like hip hop beats, samples, break beats and then you add like weird instruments like the theremin and then you add this like kind of angelic voice on top of all of it it was such a unique fascinating combination and then also this was like so at that time i was super into hip-hop like east coast 90s hip-hop and the friends that i listened to hip-hop with they didn't like a lot of the other music that i listened to but they loved portishead like, they thought Portishead was the coolest shit ever. And I guess bonus would be that eventually, at some point, I became friends with Stoop, who's the producer for Jedi Mind Tricks, and beatmaker producer. And he was obsessed with Portishead. To the point where there's a Jedi Mind Tricks where he samples Beth's voice in Wandering Star. So there's a sample of the, dark, the blackness, the darkness forever. That's in a Jedi Mind song. And he was just like completely obsessed. And I think eventually after Jedi Mind, he went on to make music that kind of sounded like this with a female vocalist and spare breakbeat oriented music. So, yeah. What'd you guys think? Oh, am I, am I designated first? Um, <laughs> sure. I liked it actually. And it, I like the music in particular. I do have a couple of complaints about the vocals, but nonetheless, like the music is very of that time. So it, of course, Lewis and I both got to the Sneaker Pimps and the same Sneaker Pimps song, obviously, because it's, it comfortably fits and I think rests with all of every, like you mentioned everything that was going on. And when you said Tricky, I was laughing to myself because there was actually a point where Tricky and Live or and or Ed Kowalczyk just like, they did one, one of them, and I forget which came first, but one of them did a song featuring one, and then they 
turned around and did a, a song of the others featuring. It was like very like back and forth. Weird. And it, yeah, and it was a nice little it was a nice little time I think in the musical landscape, and it's all very atmospheric. So it was a nice listen. It was very vibable. Very- so okay, so can I maybe predict maybe one of your thoughts around the vocals? Yeah. Okay, so there's a song called Glory Box. I think it's the last song of the record. And she's definitely doing a Billie Holiday, like, impression. (laughs) Like, straight up, in my opinion. Like, her phrasing and her voice, it's like really super Billie Holiday. And it doesn't really, it matches, but not really. It stands out to me, the way her vocal, like, styling is on the rest of the record. That still annoys me, honestly. It's like a little too derivative to me sometimes when I listen to it, even though it's like the first song on my cut of the record. That was actually not my complaint, mm. but I hear you. It That was the one that, that sounded, I wrote down that it sounded very Lana Del Rey, which of course is like backwards, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's the way that for a couple of songs in particular, she just is singing like out of tune almost. Man, man, does that it really got me like huh. in particular like strangers and oh it's because it okay so i think what strangers is very dissonant it's like hip yeah. hop. it's just a bunch of hip-hop samples layered on top of each other so i don't even know if is there a key yeah exactly right. i'm not sure there is one and it's and i understand that that's like a like some people enjoy that yeah it, it is not for me but yeah. I think if you had taken the vocals out, I would have been fine with the music. I think the music is actually commendable. It's just that I there are some songs where I wish they would have just remained instrumentals yeah. or done something. Like, there are male vocals in Biscuit that I actually think are very cool yeah, at 2.15. Sure. But yeah, Let's get to that real quick. Ryan? Yeah, so my history with, I guess, the bristol sound or trip hop trip hop is how i've always thought about it yeah it's like my history with that goes to the late night mtv recordings that we've talked about a number of times here where i'd set up the vcr to catch like late night video shows on mtv and i think that kind of future sound of london into ronnie size and things like that like probably got me around to Portishead. I can't remember specifically when I listened to Portishead. I know probably the first album I owned from theirs was when we were in college. I think just after you got into them, maybe you introduced me to their like Live in Roseland problem. Yeah, probably. I I think that was... Yeah, yeah, and it's like like having that orchestra behind them really like adds so much depth to this stuff. But yeah, I, like so, the stuff okay. that I've so if I okay, I, I want to add one other kind of cultural object here, which is Jesus Christ, the Danny Boyle movie with oh yeah, Train Spotting, Train Spotting, yes, which yeah. I think Train Spotting was. Because it had that song by Underworld. Yeah, and this is, I think this is the avenue that I also was traveling. Because that was what, like 90? That's 96. 96. Yeah, I just remember that movie was so good, so weird, so cool. And we watched that in the, like, we, they had that in the video store. 
And I feel like that was also like like a path to like discovering some of this music. Right? Sure, that that in like like for me, listening to the electronic stuff through MTV led me to at least look for what albums were in those sections of the stores or like any place that carried music. Yeah, and. <laughs> So I don't even remember what the name of the store was, but in Moorfield behind the McDonald's was a hex for a while. And then it turned into some other five and dime, but the building was bigger. Huh. And in, in their music section, I found a copy of the Ronnie size. Is it new forms? New is that forms? the name of the album? Is that, yeah. Is it a double, was it a double album? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. That's what I'm trying to check now. But so that came out in 97. So that would have been about, it would have been a couple years after this. Yeah. I have, there was so much, I don't know, like nobody was listening to this back there. <laughs> nobody <laughs> was. Nobody like, even knew anything about that stuff. And I feel like that was a big part of my like hard-headed metal guy, like late teenage years was because that was a big part of what I could bounce off of people. Yeah. So I was finding, maybe finding more interesting, darker stuff there and didn't really have much of a, like, there's no electronic anything happening around. Like, yeah. like may, maybe a science fiction movie would come out with some reference to some electronic artist in the, you know, in the well, soundtrack. You know, it, it, when you say when you say that, shout out to Jordan Pratt. It reminds me of. I remember. I think I went down to see you guys in Fairmont at some point, like early on, and I think I was playing. I think I was playing like maybe Jamiroquai's old Jamiroquai's Return of Space Cowboy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Jordan was riding in the car, and he was just fucking so pissed off. <laughs> it's so miserable. It's yeah. so poor, dude. Because it was just not. And it was like after I had expanded my brain a little bit on like music yeah. I thought could be cool. Yeah, and I think like for me, the thread with all of this stuff is like things catch my interest and I move away from them and I like get turned on to them or reminded of them later and find my way back to them. Yeah. And, and that goes across like almost all genres of music. Uh, yeah. And not everybody approaches it that way. And yeah, I do remember that time frame where, shout out to Marie, Marie reminded us how fucking cool Jamiroquai was, Dude, or at I, least reminded me. Like, yeah, she turned like, me on to I, so many cool things, man. So many cool I, things. The, and not far off of this, the, the Guru Jazzmatazz stuff, right? And cool I, stuff, I, yeah. I feel like that's another, jazz is another angle to this that for me was always like really natural because my dad's mom she would like basically she'd wake up in the morning and turn the radio on in the house and it would be tuned to a jazz station out of like woodstock virginia and it would play until they went to bed or if the tv was on it would get turned off but yeah. if the tv went off it would get turned back on it was always like jazz music or fisher for the obituaries <laughs> the moment they started playing country she turned that off and turned the jazz back on and, <laughs> So it was, this was like, a, this is that nice amalgam. Maybe this was one of those moments where I realized the music that I really liked had a depth of a lineage of like connections to other types of music. I would, yeah, nobody was really think, talking about this stuff in my family. Okay, the jazz thing. To me, Beth in general sings this like a jazz lounge singer. 
Her yeah. styling is like that. And then, so like I said, sometimes I feel like it, it goes into being a little derivative of Billie Holiday, but there are other times when who was singing like this was like the time of like Alanis Morissette and just in terms of female vocalists who was really singing like this I thought it to me in pop music it's like very unique Fiona Apple maybe right yeah exactly that would be to me the the she had a weirder more unusual vocal styling for a lot of the female vocalists at the time but I like to me like it adds another dimension. It's I don't know, like lounge music for Martians or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, I wish there yeah. was lounge music for Martians. I want to <laughs> hear that. I want to hear that. <laughs> okay, so Jenny, let me throw out something for you. Uh, another idea I had. Okay, this band and this sound is like deeply in the DNA of another band we've done, Crumb. Yeah, I would say probably, either consciously or unconsciously. Like, whether they picked it up from this band directly or from others who were also inspired by them. I find it's getting harder and harder to guess where kids these days might have actually heard something originally. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it could, you're right, it could have been filtered this through yeah. 10 other bands. And but I, yeah. think right. Right? I would agree with that, yeah. Like, for me, I can't remember the name of the lead singer in Chrome, but her vocal styling is very different than Beth's, for sure. And so with this record and the second one, the self-titled one, the drums are, I feel like Crumb stuff is like less breakbeat oriented than this stuff. This stuff is just, its if it's not sampled, it sounds like it's sampled, right? Yeah, and from, apart from the, video, the album that I had us listen to, but like the EPs, for example, like Crumb is very much more in the um, in the jazz side of things. Especially if you go back to the EPs, they're pretty doggone jazzy. Yeah, but yeah, no, to me, that's the other thing too about the reason I picked this record. So I, I listened to this one and self-titled a whole bunch over the last couple of weeks. There were various moments where I regretted picking this one over self-titled. Because I actually think maybe self-titled is more of a masterpiece. It's a little bit more yeah. mature. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There's a maturity that came with that album that this was good. It had was it was like fresh and for what the piece was, but yeah. I feel like they really dialed it in on self-titled. Yeah, yeah. But the more I think about it, it's like this is just a new sound. Like I obviously it's in the trip hop zone. But nobody was doing it like this. And it's also Western sounding too, which is cool. Yeah, Western sounding, Lalo Schifrin, spy music sounding, and uses samples. And then if you read a little bit about the making of this record, so they did use samples, but they also recorded music to vinyl and then sampled their own recordings. And basically that was right. like the big insight of the band was, so, from what I was reading, I guess it was Beth and Jeff Darrow met and started making music and It Could Be Sweet was the first thing they ever made together. Which to me makes sense because to me It Could Be Sweet seems like an incomplete sort of version of their sound. So then they met this guy, Adrian, and what he brought to the table was playing all these weird instruments, including the theremin and just like all sorts of other weird stuff. And so what they realized, like when they had that sort of 
group of different different kinds of people bringing different things is that they could just play music and sample it and make it sound like it was sampled. So they would like fuck with the vinyl to make it sound dustier and weirder. And so there's just something really interesting about like the hip hop approach. There's no, look, I'm not gonna lie. I love the hip hop approach. Like I hip hop my whole fucking life. It's like an ethos, right? So, so they took that kind of approach, but they brought weirdness and originality that from being able to actually play music and play weird instruments and not have to depend on record digging to fully create their sound. So it's like kind of a, it's hooked into the past a little bit, but with the hip hop ethos in a way that's like very appealing to me. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it shows throughout where her vocals may take that like traditional jazz styling and the there's like a dirtiness to it. I don't know, if you go to a modern jazz festival like there's a whole lot of female jazz vocalists over the last few years that have tried to make a career singing in that Billie Holiday style and it's just too clean there's just not enough gravel there's just not enough like darkness and she brings that really well and part of it is the off-key kind of nature of it and part of it is like the weird choices of hammering a stringed instrument that's detuned and running it through that kind of sample filter to grime it up yeah like what you hear in 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 sour times in the background of that it just sounds like someone taking mallets to a detuned grand piano or something like it's I don't know what that what sound the, is. What is the is that a clavichord? I have no idea. I thought like, it was a clavichord. I, I thought it was a clavichord. Or there's like a Greek stringed instrument. What the hell is it called? I can't remember. Where it sounds like it's almost like a detuned piano, but it's not. It's actually a stringed instrument, or it's actually like a strummed instrument or a picked instrument. I can't like remember dulcimer. what the hell it is. It's almost like a dulcimer. Almost like a dulcimer, yeah. right? Which is another interesting, like, kind of, I don't know, like you say, like, it, it's nice that, uh, it's nice that they have these, like, weird stringed instruments that get brought into it. There's an organic piece of it that they have. Yeah. That, again, is why, I like, Rose, the Live in Roseland album is so good, like, I, I'm with you in that I come back to Portishead a lot. I think I come back to self-titled more than this but overall it's almost always the Roseland stuff like that extra level of like strings the only thing that isn't as pristine with that is that the they didn't I don't think they did a good job of miking in the turntables yeah so like their levels are super high whereas in the album version like the turntables are bled into things a lot better yeah hey, what did you guys think about that like the scratching, the turntablism stuff in this record. Because in the 90s, a lot of music acts tried to incorporate this sort of stuff to greater or lesser success. I would argue mostly lesser success. Are you, uh, Dave, you're not saying Incubus did like a fantastic <laughs> job building a career you know, on a novelty of I, working. I actually like or... Incubus to some extent. I, I, I'm not going to hate on Incubus whatsoever, but. Two turntables and a microphone. Two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> uh, look, I just. Look, here's the thing. 
Because here's the thing, is that I think it works on this record. It doesn't sound weird or forced or... It doesn't sound like an A&R guy was like, you should throw some turntables in there and get the kids into it or something. I think that's like, that line sums it up perfectly. Yeah. So much like turntablism that got attached to 90s music felt like an afterthought. Or, hey, if we just get a guy in here with some records and a couple turntables, we can like boost our like audience. It's an important dollar, the turntable dollar. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's an important dollar. Just, so it's quarter like, the turntable market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but with this, I feel like because they're so rooted in that like breakbeat nature, like if you, when you take the turntable out, right, the percussive elements are still there of breakbeat. So when they work the turntable in, like it makes perfect sense. And I feel like there's a lot of, all right, so the thing that I think of a lot in the turntable is the Kid Koala album. Oh, uh, yeah. That first, so I, in the after party, I threw in Fender Bender, which Ooh. is great. There's some really interesting turntable work in that. Yeah. The DJ Shadow. I feel like there's DJ a whole Shadow, like, yeah. like mid to late 90s turntable work that either is influenced by this or like shares an influence with this but shares a sound and i think it works really well in it i think it brings like a liveliness to some of the darker pieces that feels like it should be the soundtrack for uh, like a guy ritchie movie like, <laughs> guy ritchie huh interesting like early guy ritchie like early lock like stock. snatch lock stock yeah like that level of guy ritchie stuff it feels like a british gangster film in so many ways okay uh, on so many tracks hey portishead should have by all fucking rights done a bond theme yeah how the fuck did that not happen dude i Maybe they weren't into it. I haven't, I didn't Come look on. into it. You never know. They seem pretty open to doing cool stuff. And that's like the sweet spot, I feel like, for songs like Sour Time. Sour Time should have been a fucking Bond theme. And <laughs> it's just, what the fuck is wrong with people in charge here, man? What the hell is wrong? I could just imagine, I could come up with a Bond plot just based off of Sour Times. Yeah, their like manager record label wasn't like daily making calls to that estate. Like, who did the bond? Like, who did the bond? They were really themes? failing. Who did the bond themes in the '90s? I don't even fucking remember. They're that not memorable. Anyway, totally should have done. Totally should have done a bond movie theme. I know. I mean, I know that maybe they're not like super pop, and maybe that's why, but. Or they should have produced it or something. I don't know. Chris Cornell did a Bond theme, and I like Chris Cornell, but if you're going to say Portishead or Chris Cornell, who sounds more like a James Bond movie, yeah. it's hard to beat. And it. then I don't even think it would work for emo, modern emo Bond. It's just... No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that it would actually work for that anymore anyway. So Madonna did Die Another Day. Yeah. I... Yeah, Madonna. Come on. Shh. Cheryl Crow. So Cheryl Tomorrow Crow. Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies, 1997. Like prime Portishead time. And they go with Cheryl. <laughs> That's awful. Okay, I did want to talk about It Could Be Sweet because the song is like definitely one that I used to skip, I think, back in the day. Yeah. But listening to it in the car, it's cool. It. Like I said, I feel like it's an incomplete version of their sound. 
it's a little more massive attacky, honestly, than yeah. any of their any of the rest of their stuff. Listening to it in the car with the bass loud and being able to hear like the kind of drum fills a little bit better, I was like, you know what, this isn't bad. It's not. It didn't make my cut. It didn't make anyone's cut. I think. But I think that's just because, like I said, to me it's like. It's a, it's a predecessor, and then when I read this was the first thing that they ever did, it sounds that sounds right to me. Yeah. Any other songs we want to like highlight? Let's see here. It's a fire. Interesting. That's Jenny's second pick. Talk about. I think the only one that was on my playlist that didn't make it for either of you was actually Pedestal, because Lewis and I both had It's a Fire. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, and we all three have roads. Oh, I, you know what? I like this song. This is not, I mean... It's, it's a little make... bit different from the rest of it. It's It feels, it doesn't quite have, it certainly doesn't have a hip-hop vibe necessarily. This song but... reminds me of Massive Tech, like something like Teardrop almost. Because it's like chill and mellow like that. I feel like this one could have been like part of that like female vocal 90s radio friendly stuff that was playing. This is just a little artsier version of Carol Crone. There's room, there was room for this on the radio, it just got nowhere. I actually think that there was a very similar Paula Cole song that like had this sort of like uh, beat. Which one are talking about? Cowboy? Okay. There. Cow- there. Song about cowboys or something? Paula Cole, that's a name that uh, I'm glad came <laughs> Paula Cole made the pod. <laughs> what was her song? What the fuck was her song? Where have all the cowboys gone? Or wait, no, that was... Yeah. Where have was all the cowboys shit? gone? I'm getting... Am I not... No, so... I'm working on it here. <laughs> Come on, Ryan. Ryan, doing our research. Where have all the yeah, cowboys gone? Right. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, wait. And, oh, she also did that... I don't want to wait. Yeah, and that's all. That's off of this fire, so that's '97. But yeah, that's that's a good that's a good pull, Toma, because that's a vocal piece that was similar, like, but a little bit more rock and roll. Did, and I, come to think of it, like Tori Amos is not too far from this yeah. range of vocal artists. So, Jenny, did you have this record? No, I did not. Okay. Did you? Were you into Tori Amos? No, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> let me. Let me. I'm not me neither. I agree. I have never really listened to Tori Amos, and I just don't. And maybe this is a bad attitude to have, but I honestly am not like heavily motivated to dig into it because what I have heard, it just seems like it's, it's maybe not for me, and I, that's okay. I not think, everything. Yeah. Else. So Katie, I guess in high school was super into it. But Katie's always been like a lyrics person, mm. way more than me or any of us really. And I think she was really into the lyrics of Tori Amos. I think, to me, Tori Amos, like the songs that I've heard sound a little bit like, I don't know, like Kate Bush to some extent or something. And frankly, I'm not a huge Kate Bush fan. So anyway, okay, yeah, Paula Cole. Like Dawson's yeah, Creek, I, I don't want to wait. I don't wanna... It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
there are several it's just the first of like several references it was just a, a time for female singers to explore this vein really and i could have thrown out several other names that's just the first one that came to mind but... yeah so this yeah song, okay so we, we you mentioned Rhodes, which yeah is this on, made this is all on, of our cuts this is all of our cuts this song is depressing jesus christ <laughs> but in a good way Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to me, it's probably a little bit more, like I said, a little bit, just a little more in the massive attack zone to me, like a teardrop or something a little more on the mellow massive attack side of things. Yeah. I think her vocal performance is about as good as it gets on this one. And there's not really much else going on besides it. It's like real, like, spare. Yeah. So, Jenny, I have a question. So, I think sometimes when I listen to music with a female vocalist that has a high range, right? Um, so, Katie never likes that in general. She doesn't like super high range female vocalists. So, one of her favorite female singers is Nico Case. Do you know who she is? Oh, yeah. she's nice. She really is nice and low. She, look, she, She's an amazing singer and she's like a, yeah. an amazing range, but yeah, she, her natural singing is like definitely on the lower end of things. Is that an issue for you at all? Do you give it a damn? Like high, low, middle? Uh, no, I'm actually with, I am with Katie on this. I am here to support her on that <laughs> only because I just, as a general. Do we lose her? Oh. Singing that I oh, would, respect. that I would be into. But as a general matter, it's unnecessary. You're trying too hard, just stop it. Like sing normally like the rest of us. Like it, just stop, it, it's just unnecessary. And also don't shriek in my ear. <laughs> okay, so does Beth Gibbons' vocals fall into that for you? Only in, I don't think she abuses it. I think she does it here and there, but for the most part, she she keeps it keeps it relatively real. I can't hate on her too much for that. If it makes any difference to me, it sounds, it doesn't sound unnatural. It's not like she's like really straining, it seems like, when she's like hitting high notes or singing in a key, right? Sure, which is fine. I don't think that she's crossed any lines here at, at all. I, I Not with the terms of what pitch she's singing. Now, yeah. he, as discussed with the tone, I have issues, but... Okay, so how do you feel about male singers and brands? Because like, I grew up with, I grew up with the Bee Gees and so forth. And... I don't. I love falsetto. Either. I love falsetto. To be like, okay. Falsetto. And, and I'm gonna good. have to. I'm gonna have to do some more exploring as to where these boundaries are because I don't love the Bee Gees, but I'm here for some Beach Boys. I'm here for Beach Boys, and so apparently I've got some sort of boundary in there. I'm gonna have to suss out. <laughs> I'm gonna have to really reflect on it and figure out why that is. Like we we grew up still in the waves crashing of disco sucks. I would say, right? I think 80s and 90s, like disco is cool is was not a thing. <laughs> like maybe in well, France, but, maybe in France, to, in the but, 90s, but. Also, what is it, Frankie Valley? Like I'm here for that too. Um, no, hey, all those groups that you just mentioned, yeah. I'm, I'm here for sure. So I don't know what it is about the Bee Gees that I, maybe I'm being harsh on them. I'm gonna have to revisit <laughs> that and think. The Brothers Give? Uh, yeah, I think I, it's that his voice is—it's—I it's, don't—I don't—it's too velvety to be up that high. <laughs> I think, I think that's what it is. 
there's a, a BG song, How Deep Is Your Love, which has been covered like five bazillion times, but for me, it's their version. There's just something about it. I don't know, maybe they, and they don't, they still sing in falsetto, but they're a little bit, there's, the verses are not in falsetto, which I don't know if that makes any difference, but, um, yeah, anyway, what other songs should we talk about? Okay, Jenny, I have, okay, tell me why this song didn't make your cut. It, I guess the very simple answer is that I did not enjoy it as much as <laughs> Damn it. Tell me why. Uh, the beginning actually reminded me, here's a reference, MF Dune on, yeah. on the uh, Adult Swim album, which I've already forgotten the oh, name the of. the Danger but... Mouse. Yeah. The Danger Mouse one. Danger Dune. Part of what I didn't like about this, part of it is the little drummer boy beat, which I, like, not sure it fit here. And part of it was that she's sort of edging into out of, like, atonal territory. And it just didn't, it didn't hit for me as much as the others on my list did. Now, this part, again, this part I'm fine with. This is fine. I've got no qualms with this. It's the other, it's the other stuff. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, Ryan. I don't know. Why don't you talk about it? Why don't you talk about this song? If you can. This is Conic Portishead for me. I like the snare roll, and it's it's roll in what becomes like drum and bass and like electronics. Yeah. It makes me think of slowed down X Twin, right? Like if X Twin really gets that ball bearing on a snare drum. Hundred so. <laughs> percent. Yeah. It, it even like to me like. Uh, a lot of the whatever trap like drum fills and like snare fills and stuff like that I feel like are definitely very inspired by a lot of this British stuff yeah but to me this shit sets it off we're here for something different yeah we got a theremin yeah so so like like generally unless you completely fucking eat it (laughs) theremin in a song for me it's just, I don't know how many, what, is there a negative? Can there be a negative? Is there a terrible theremin performance that destroys the song? Because this shit sounds amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, and then in combination with that breakbeat, which is a little bit more British, it's less kind of American East Coast hip hop and more British. Yeah. That's cool. The bass, the fucking bass line, which is pretty simple. I drove to, I drove, took the kids to a haunted farm in Moriarty, and Ryan, Ryan came, Ryan and Aubrey came too, and on the drive there, we just banged this record, like dark as hell, driving through the mountains. Yeah, we were too, that's funny, we were listening to the exact same thing. Yeah, and just the atmosphere, I feel like, yeah. just, you just immediately sets the shit off, like, we're in for something a little bit different. Yeah, it's haunting, right? Like yes. The, like, the beat itself is definitely slow and dark, but, like, the thing that makes it haunting. And then this stuff at the end here with the, like... Yeah, the, like, crescendo of the keyboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right, so you guys were talking about female vocalists, right? What you're talking about is contralto. Contralto. Which is the, it's the lowest range of female vocalists. Yeah. And 
Yeah, pretty much everybody we're talking about ends up in that, right? Nico Case, right? With the pornographers. Like that Bethany Consentino from oh, Best Coast. Oh, from Best Coast, yeah, for sure. Like Brody Daly from the Distillers and Spinnerette. Kim Deal from the Breeders. It's yeah. funny how many bands <laughs> in the list of contralto singers are stuff that are in our list of things we enjoy. Alice Glass. Right, like Crystal Castles. Oh, from Crystal Castles. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah. Half canceled. Crystal, I, I love canceled. Yeah, half canceled, yeah. I yeah. she isn't. I love yeah. uh, I love uh, I love the different ranges to me to me. Like I love the different ranges. There's some amazing singers that are like in a much higher range, but I get it. I think for Katie it's like more of a it's like more of a like aesthetic annoyance. Do you know? I, I think Thomas like, summed it up perfectly as till shriek in my ear, man. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a more of like a, I, I don't know, also maybe in the 90s when we were growing up, like you could put on a voice. Like you would hear girls sometimes put on a voice that sounded a little bit more like higher pitched and like kind of valley girlish sort of thing. Mm. Which I've never found like remotely appealing whatsoever. So I think it's more of an aesthetic thing. All right. Any other songs we should talk about? Uh, Glory Box? Should we play Glory Box? I don't think we've played Glory Box yet. Iconic? Yeah, so this is the song that to me, like I said, was... I felt... It's... Okay, so instrumentally... To me... This is like one of their coolest instrumentals. This is like a classic... Portishead. Yeah. It's a little yeah, more man. spy music, a little more Lalo Schifrin, a little more that. Again, Broccoli Estate, 96 is Tomorrow Never Dies. What the fuck? What were you guys doing? <laughs> Stuff was out there. Two years. When you started filming, you could have been shooting to this music. So this, to me, is like, the way she sang, play. It's like very Billie Holiday. And like, it's a little too much, and it doesn't need to be. I like the way they mic her, right? It makes me think of like the way that like rock musicians in the 90s embraced the megaphone into the microphone oh, situation. Yeah. There was like, a lot of that. Yeah, Mike Patton from Faith and More did that a lot, maybe later more than early. Scott Wilde from Stone Temple Pilots loved a good megaphone and the microphone sound. Yeah. Oh, this All this reminds me, one thing I wanted to bring up. I think a lot of the lyrics are also way more traditional. Um, so it's a lot of like love and heartbreak <laughs> and uh, give me a reason to be a woman. It's like a lot more kind of traditional and it just seems so out of place for the 90s. Right? With her like Scott Weiland's like word soup, <laughs> like <laughs> poetry word soup stuff yeah. and this to me like lyrically I'm not saying it isn't heartfelt it's just it just sounds older it, like it just it sounds older it sounds like a little more I don't want to say pure exactly but I don't know less complicating of the idea of love or pursuing love or whatever it's like kind of your standard I'm hurt I want you <laughs> like back and forth and uh, I don't know how I feel about that exactly. I, I guess probably at the end of the day, it's that's I'm less interested in that. 
But to me, it like flies in the face of everything else in the 90s. I don't really remember hearing stuff like this lyrically. Like talking about being a man and being a woman, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's just not, not, it doesn't really work with the time. All right. Anything else? Anything else before we rate this thing? Oh, let's okay, rate, let's rate it. Okay. Ryan, why don't you go first? Yeah, I love all of Portishead's work. This is maybe 60% of this album is fantastic. 40% of it is still really good, but maybe not what I'm looking for in the Portishead album. So this is like 375, maybe four. I'll say four. It's like a four. I don't think they have anything that's not super original and enjoyable. Yeah, this is a four for me. Jenny, I'll let you go last. I say it's a, I say it's a four for me. It's a four because I think I agree with you, Ryan. It's yeah, sixty percent of the songs I think are classics. It's if Portishead was playing a doing a tour and they were like doing a two-hour show, they got to play six or seven of these songs. To me, yeah, yeah. those are like just classics. But I it, I give it four stars because I think in nineteen ninety four. There was really nothing that sounded like this. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to make something that's that unique. Yeah. And also, I think it flied in the face of a lot of things that were cool, supposedly cool back then, and made its own kind of cool. And that, to me, is the coolest of cool, is doing it your way, and then the rest of the world comes to you in some way. Yeah. So four stars for me. Jenny? I think mathematically this one got a three, but I think that's just mostly a result of exactly what you two said, which is that this is 60% like better tier stuff, and then 40% like maybe a little bit less. But I agree with, I'm giving them an extra 0.5 for originality and creativity because I think you're right. I think for 1994, this was a lot more remarkable than it sounds upon first listen in 2022. No doubt about that. I agree with that. And I think that I stand by the fact that I think that if you, if I could cut these vocals out, like this could be something that I listen to more, um, like beyond just podcast purposes. I think that could, there's some really cool musical stuff happening here that I absolutely enjoy. And I know that nobody else picked Pedestal, but I actually really do like that one. I think it's it's very, what's the word? I think that it has some really immaculate transitions in, in what is a very consistent and steady beat that really lends itself well to switching back and forth between. There's the horns. I actually, and, and granted, like the parts that I like are a little bit further partway through the song and maybe the second half, but Nonetheless, I think there's really like some stuff of some stuff of merit here that was enjoyable to listen to. It it really made nice driving fare and even plane fare too. It was good. Yeah. Oh, dude, that, yeah, that I totally forgot about that trumpet solo. That yeah. kind of sampled trumpet solo. Which totally works. See, that's exactly the part that always makes me think of Kid Koala. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think Jenny you should definitely check out self-titled Portishead and we'll in the after party I think we'll have some a couple of videos and stuff from from 
But to me, they took the best parts of this record and they doubled down on yeah on, on everything and so, in some ways it's like bigger and better. Which we didn't I, even talk. We didn't talk about third. What we do didn't you think talk about, about third. third. I, okay, I'll just. I guess I'll just come out and say that I'm not a big fan of anything they made after self-titled. I'm not. It's not like I don't. I hate it or something. It just. To me, this is like far more compelling. <laughs> Bam. All right. All right. Okay. So why don't we take? Why don't we take a break and then we'll come back and fit in as much of the after parties we can and then are we uh, are we doing a next time we are so i was hoping to do two more before the end of the year i think that's like more. reasonable yeah um yeah. so jenny next you're, you're next Emma, yeah. right you're next so do you know i guess you do know you said yeah, last time i do know okay what are we uh, listening to and it, it's actually quite funny that i happen to be in chicago when i'm saying this but we're gonna do post animals 2015 self-released ep Host animal perform the most curious water activities. Okay, so we're wow. gonna we're gonna cut. Um, What's the mission? Cut, cut it or don't. I don't know. <laughs> I guess you could. There's ten songs, if I recall correctly. It's cuttable. Okay. Um, there's a one song from it is in the after party list. So oh, I've cool. got a. You, you can check her out. Cool. It's a very cool little piece. I know that I'm predictable in genres, but it, it is a cool little piece of work, if I do say so. Awesome. I've never even heard of this band, I don't think. Yeah. No time with this. This is cool. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go. Cool. All right. You got a gun, Lydia? Or would you 